have an interview with a, an author uh, next week for you. But in the meantime, here's a few more pages from George Perec's Life, a User's Manual, which continues to be a, a true delight, I would say. Volan took many years to grasp exactly what Bartle Booth was after. The first time he came to see him, in January 1925, all Bartle Booth said was that he wanted to learn all there was to know about painting watercolors. He wanted a lesson a day for 10 years. The frequency and duration of these private lessons startled Valen, who was perfectly content if he landed 18 lessons a quarter. But Bartle Booth seemed determined to devote as much time as was necessary to his apprenticeship, and he seemed to have no money worries. Fifty years later, Valen sometimes reflected that anyway those ten years hadn't been such a waste, seeing how Bartlebooth displayed at the start a complete lack of natural talent. Not only did Bartlebooth know nothing about the delicate art of watercolors, He'd never even held a paintbrush and scarcely ever tried a crayon. For the first year, therefore, Volan began by teaching him how to draw and had him do copies in charcoal and pencil and red chalk of models on squared grids, had him do positioning sketches and exercises in cross-hatched sketches highlighted with chalk and exercises in shading, and exercises in perspective. Next, he made him work with Indian ink and sepia wash, forced him to practice complicated calligraphy, and showed him how to make his brush strokes thicker and thinner so as to establish different values and obtain a range of tones. In two years, Bartle Booth learned to master these initial skills. The rest, Valen assured him, was just a matter of material and experience. They began to do open-air work, at first in uh, the Monceau Gardens on the banks of the Seine and in the Bois de Boulogne, then further afield in the Paris region. Every day at two, Bartlebooth's chauffeur, not yet Kleber, but Fawcett, who had served Priscilla, Bartlebooth's mother, called for Valen in the capacious black-and-white Chouinard and Walker limousine. The painter would find his people dressed sensibly in golfing breeches, spats, check cap, and woolen sweater. They would go to the forest of Fontainebleau, to Saint-Lys, to Enghien, to Versailles, to Saint-Germain, or to Chevreuse Valley, to the Chevreuse Valley. There they would set up their three-legged camp stools, known as pinchar stools, side by side, and their parasol with its jointed pole and ground spike, and their fragile articulated easel. With manic precision, so obsessively meticulous as to be almost clumsy with it, Bartlebooth would first hold his sheet of Watman paper, already damped on the reverse side, up to the light, so he could check by the watermark that he had gotten it the right way around. Then he would take drawing pins and fix it onto the board of cross-grained ash. Then he would open his zinc palette, 
with its enameled inside surfaces, spotlessly cleaned after the previous day's session, and would arrange on it, in ritual sequence, 13 little cups of paint. Ivory black, colored sepia, burnt sienna, yellow ochre, Indian yellow, chrome yellow, vermilion, matter gloss, Veronese green, olive green, ultramarine, cobalt, Prussian blue, as well as a few drops of Madame Maubois zinc white. Then he would set out his water, his sponges, and his crayons, check that his brushes were properly mounted in their handles, perfectly tipped not too thick in the middle, had no stray loose hairs, then he would get down to it, first sketching in softly, in crayon, the volumes, the horizon, the foreground, the vanishing lines, before trying to fix in all their unforeseeable, split-second splendor, the ephemeral metamorphoses of a cloud or a breeze rippling the surface of a pond, or a sunset over the Ile de France, a flock of starlings ascending, a shepherd bringing in his sheep, moonrise over a dormant village, a road lined with poplars, a dog halting at a thicket, and so on. Most of the time, Valen would shake his head and with a few curt phrases, your sky's too heavy, that's out of balance, you've missed the effect, not enough contrast, you haven't got the atmosphere, there's no gradation, the layout is banal, alternating with ringings and crossings out, nonchalantly sprawled over the watercolor. He would mercilessly destroy the work of Bartlebooth, who, without a word, would tear the sheet from his ashwood board, affix a fresh piece, and start all over again. Outside this laconic tuition, Bartlebooth and Valen hardly spoke to each other. Although they were exactly the same age, Bartlebooth seemed entirely uninterested in Valen. And Valen, though intrigued by his employer's eccentricity, usually didn't dare question him straight out. Nonetheless, several times during the return journeys to Paris, he did ask him why he was so obstinately determined to learn to paint watercolors. Bartlebooth's usual reply was, why not? Because, Valen retorted one day, most of my pupils in your shoes would have given up long ago. Am I that bad? Bartlebooth asked. In ten years you can get anywhere, and you will get there. But why do you want to master an art for which you have absolutely no spontaneous inclination? It's not watercolors I'm interested in, but what I, what I plan to do with them. And what is that? Why, to make puzzles, of course was Bartlebooth's unhesitating reply. That day, Valen began to grasp more precisely what was in Bartlebooth's mind. But only after getting to, to know Smout and then Gaspar Winkler could he gauge the full extent of the Englishman's ambition. Let us imagine a man whose wealth is equaled only by his indifference to what wealth generally brings. A man of exceptional arrogance who wishes to fix, to describe, 
and to exhaust not the whole world. Merely to state such an ambition is enough to invalidate it, but a constituted fragment of the world. In the face of the inextricable incoherence of things, he will set out to execute a necessarily limited program right the way through in all its irreducible, intact entirety. In other words, Bartlebooth resolved one day that his whole life would be organized around a single project, an arbitrarily constrained program with no purpose outside its own completion. The idea occurred to him when he was 20. At first, it was only a vague idea, a question looming. What should I do? with an answer taking shape, nothing. Money, power, art, women did not interest Bartlebooth, nor did science, nor even gambling. There were only neckties and horses that just about did it, did or to put it another way, beneath these futile illustrations. But thousands of people do order their lives effectively around their ties, and far greater numbers do so around their weekend horse riding. There stirred, dimly, a certain idea of perfection. It grew over the following months and came to rest on three guiding principles. The first was moral. The plan should not have to do with an exploit or record. It would be neither a peak nor to scale, nor an ocean floor to reach. What Bartlebooth would do would not be heroic or spectacular. It would be something simple and discreet. Difficult, of course, but not impossibly so. Controlled from start to finish, and conversely controlling every detail of the life of the man engaged upon it. The second was logical. All recourse to chance would be ruled out, and the project would make time and space serve as the abstract coordinates, plotting the ineluctable recursion of identical events occurring inexorably in their allotted places on their allotted dates. The third was aesthetic. The plan would be useless, since gratuitousness was the sole guarantor of its rigor and would destroy itself as it proceeded. Its perfection would be circular, a series of events which when concatenated nullify each other, starting from nothing, passing through precise operations on finished objects. Bartlebooth would end up with nothing. Thus, a concrete program was designed, which can be stated succinctly as follows. For 10 years, from 1925 to 1935, Bartlebooth would acquire the art of painting watercolors. For 20 years, from 1935 to, to 1955, <clears throat> he would travel the world, painting at a rate of one watercolor each fortnight, 500 seascapes of identical format, royal 65 centimeters by 50 centimeters depicting seaports. When each view was done, he would dispatch it to a specialist craftsman, Gaspar Winkler, who would glue it to a thin wooden backing board and cut it into a jigsaw puzzle of 750 pieces.
For 20 years, from 1955 to 1975, Bartle Booth, on his return to France, would reassemble the jigsaw puzzles in order, at a rate, once again, of one puzzle a fortnight. As each puzzle was finished, the seascape would be retexturized so that it could be removed from its backing, returned to the place where it had been painted 20 years before, and dipped in a detergent solution whence emerged a clean and unmarked sheet of Wattman paper. Thus, no trace would remain of an operation which would have been, throughout a period of 50 years, the sole motivation in a unique activity of its own.